let's get this party started because I got to make this quick. I'm doing some traveling this week, weekend into next week. So um, I obviously still wanted to stick to my routine of every Friday during October since I'm doing the 31 days of Halloween where I'm watching 31 horror movies or horror adjacent or anything that's kind of spooky, creepy, and maybe a little over the top at times. Uh, yeah, so um, I'm going to pick things up from last Saturday is where we left off because I usually end on a Friday and this airs on a Friday. Uh, last thing I watched was Halloween Ends. Yeah, it was Halloween Ends. So if you don't, so if you want to know how I felt about that controversial film, uh, go back to last week's episode. I think the title is literally Halloween Ends, comma, Ends. <laughs> I try to think of witty titles here. But yeah, let's get hopping Let's jump in here on the next week of horror films, this past week of what I've been watching. So last Sunday, if you listened to uh, Hot Genre Topics with me and Generic on YouTube Live, uh, there's a re-air on the YouTube page. Eh, Maybe I'll leave a link in the show notes. Uh, You know that the night before, so last Saturday is what I'm getting at here, uh, I watched Lake Mungo. Now, this is, I believe, a 2008 release in America, but I I think it came out a couple years earlier in Australia. It's an Australian film. Uh, It was on those, uh, I remember, like, back in the day, I don't know if they still do it, but Walmart would release those, like, eight films to die for, like, DVD package, where it was eight movies, you know, in one one or two dual-disc things. Um, They were kind of cool. I never bought them, but uh, uh, I always, like, took notice of them, and I guess Lake Mungo was on there. And this movie made the 101 most scary movie moments on uh, Shudder, the weekly thing that Shudder's doing right now. I think they're about to finish next week with the top 10. Um, And Mike Flanagan was talking about this movie. And Mike Flanagan's reaction, this is everything I also said on Hot Genre Topics, so if you tune into that, I'm kind of rehashing what I just said. Uh, Mike Flanagan's reaction to that movie is the same exact reaction I had watching this Saturday night. (laughs) Uh, so for anybody who doesn't know, Lake Mungo is kind of like a mockumentary found footage Australian film about a girl that uh, drowns. She goes missing and I guess she's um, it's like a family get together or something. And she goes missing from the pack and her body's found drowned underwater, like by a dam or something. And what starts to happen is I guess the the son, so her brother, uh, begins like just kind of filming stuff around the house and notices that there is uh notices ghosts and notices that they look like his sister so they start to believe she is still hanging around the house haunting the place and whatnot and it begins to unravel a little bit into um kind of this other side story of maybe there was also somebody responsible to some extent to why she passed away or she had stuff going on in her life that um her parents didn't know about i'm not going to go into that i will um let you look into that for yourself you track down the movie which is i found it streaming on tubi by the way gotta love tubi with their horror catalog um there is a scene in this that is not a jump scare it is just a very like oh my fucking god (laughs) i like i said i had the same reaction as mike flanagan like when, when this scene hits um i leaped up took my feet up off the floor and like tucked them under myself on the couch and just kind of like was like, holy shit. Uh, so basically 
Blake Mungo deals also with like premonition and knowing that something bad's going to happen to you, but it hasn't happened yet. I say this as I begin to travel for a week. Great. Awesome. Um, even though I don't think anything bad's going to happen. Knock on wood. Don't mean to scare anybody. The uh, character who has uh, drowned, she, you know, there's through archival footage, like through a therapy session or a hypnotism session. You know, the movie opens with she, I, I'm paraphrasing, but she's talking about she feels like something bad is coming for her, but it hasn't reached her yet. And so it's kind of this idea of premonition and maybe knowing something's going to happen to you and it isn't good and how terrifying that could probably be. Uh, I'll tell you the scene right here I'm getting at. There is a scene where they find cell phone footage off of like her flip phone. And she was out at a party at Lake Mungo, I believe, or somewhere near there a while back. And uh, what happens is she's out in the dark alone and she's filming this thing, so we're seeing it from her point of view. And she walks up to this figure in the dark. You can't make out what it is. And she walks right up to it. And it is, it's her. But it is her dead body standing there, like standing still. And it's how she looked when she was pulled out of the water after she died. And then it just has like kind of this little bit of a jump scare and then cuts away to something else. Um, absolutely fucking terrifying. Like I, I'm just more, I wanted to warn you going into it. Like it, it scared the shit out of me. And I was watching this movie at 1030 at night on a Saturday. Uh, God damn it. <laughs> so that's Lake Mungo. A lot of people really like this film. Uh, it is not, you know, it's just a film that kind of uh, sticks with you. It still kind of sticks with me. Like I'm still thinking about it. And because it, it's it's a mockumentary, but it feels so goddamn true. And sometimes mockumentaries, you can feel the the fakeness of it at times. I don't think Lake Mungo feels fake. There is just something about this movie that it feels so entirely real. So credit to the filmmakers on that one. All right, let's move ahead now to the Sunday Night Watch, which is a, this was a perfect Sunday night horror movie. And I'm talking about the 1980 classic called The Changeling. So you can find The Changeling in a few different spots. I think it's on Shudder, Tubi. I might be wrong about the Shudder one, but it's definitely streaming on Peacock for free. Um, this is movie is uh, George C. Scott, great actor of the last... 70 years i mean he's, he's since you know passed away years ago but uh this came out in 1980 and this just feels like a time capsule of the late 70s early 80s like with how horror films are kind of made in america uh george c scott plays a composer who's vacationing with his family in a car accident kills his wife and daughter um he's dealing with his grief uh he, you know he takes time away from work he lives in a home in new york city or he leaves his home, excuse me, he leaves his home in New York City to a secluded house near Seattle. And soon, uh, George C. Scott's character, John Russell, feels the presence of a ghost. And it's a boy who drowned in a bathtub in the house. Um, there he seeks assistance by, you know, ghost hunters. I, I forget what they, the, the people, from, the kind of people from The Conjuring, if you get what I'm getting at. Um and they basically start to uncover secrets of the boy's death. Now, there is probably one of the most kind of bone-chilling scenes, and again, it's not like a jump scare, but it's just kind of this like, oof, moment where George C. Scott does this thing in the movie where he, um, I guess it's his kid had like this toy red ball, and um, he goes out to a bridge, 
and throws the ball into the water. And it's kind of this symbolic thing of he's he's starting to let go, you know, in his grieving. He's starting to kind of want to move on with his life now that this part of his life has ended tragically, but he's he has to move on kind of thing. And um, when he gets back to the house, he gets inside, closes the door, and all of a sudden there's like a noise upstairs, and the red bouncing ball comes back, comes rolling down the stairs. And there's just kind of a holy shit moment. This is a such a great haunted house ghost story film. Uh, horror fans love it. Uh, it. There's really nothing much that it shows. It's it's done with a lot of sounds and you know doors opening. And I know that sounds generic, just kind of saying it, but uh, it's just the it, the atmosphere. It's also an atmospheric film. And sometimes, and in this day and age you know, atmospheric horror films kind of, and I'll, I'll talk about atmosphere in a minute uh, with another film, but atmospheric horror films kind of sometimes fall flat. It's like they're trying to sell you on this vibe of the movie without really scaring you and really giving you that good of a plot. I, I think The Changeling uh, does that all really well. Uh, you know, I saw this movie later in life. I, I, I wasn't even born in 1980, so I, I didn't see this till maybe... 10 years ago and sometimes when you see things that are hailed as classics no matter the genre you know you kind of go like eh, it wasn't that good it's not my era but whatever hey i respect it like i really loved this film uh, i go back to it a lot anytime i see it streaming i will i don't always hit play but i kind of sit there and contemplate it uh so that's the changeling again like just a real period just a real time capsule of that era and how movies are made and i think I think I just kind of love those late 70s, early 80 films as well. So next up, uh, Monday the 17th. Um, I feel like I have not seen Eli Roth's Cabin Fever enough. Matter of fact, I think I've only seen it once, and that was when it came out almost 20 years ago. It was a 2003 release. Uh, Cabin Fever is a lot of fun things for me, in my opinion. So it's uh, Eli. No, nobody can make like homages to like exploitation films like Eli Roth. And I feel like that's what he's done here. He did it again in something like Green Inferno. I mean, Hostel One and Two. Come on. Uh, but this just this very much feels like his homage to your typical, you know, kids go out in the woods for a crazy weekend and they, you know, something bad happens to them. And instead of that bad thing being a serial killer, it is a flesh-eating virus, which I thought was cool. Like, you know, coming from someone who just produced a horror film that's going to be on the film festival circuit next year. Yeah, I made it. <laughs> I was part of a movie about a killer in the woods. But, like, th this is kind of cool how he, Eli Roth decides, like, nah, how about it's a flesh-eating virus? And it has the typical tropes and setups and the characteristics of each different character, kind of the... The loser, obnoxious one, you know, the heartthrob, the the party animal, the girl who is a little promiscuous, the sweet-hearted kind of innocent girl who you think is going to make it when actually I think she's the first one to get infected. Uh, so he breaks some of the tropes, which is kind of cool. Uh, yeah, this is, you know, I, I the, the plot's really simple. It's five friends go out to a cabin and through a circumstance of events with, I think it's like just like some homeless drunk guy in a town uh, comes across like a dead animal 
and gets infected by whatever that dead animal has. And uh, he is, you know, lurking around the cabin and they end up getting infected because I think they, but yeah, they, they kill the guy by accident. Yeah. Um, thinking out loud. Sorry. Uh, cabin fever is a lot of fun. It is very tonally all over the place, uh, especially in the third act. I, I think the first two acts pace really well with uh, bad, gory things happening to the cast. By the third act, when like you start to kind of see the rest of like the town that they're in and some of the other characters that pop up briefly in the first hour of the movie, it gets a little funny and. I think some people find that like a little like, what the fuck? And I kind of do, but I give it a break because I'm not taking the movie too seriously and I don't think it's taking itself too seriously. And it is a fun popcorn horror film. Uh, it's a perfect thing, which you'll we'll hear more about. All right, I'll say this. We'll hear more about Cabin Fever on Monday's episode uh, just to tease it a little bit. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. So now let's move to uh, Tuesday where I also, also another movie you're going to hear more about on Mon- this coming Monday's episode. Uh, I popped in a movie I think I watch once a year, and not even just on Halloween. I just enjoy it. That is Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. H4 is a lot of fun. I don't care what anybody says. Uh, this movie introduced me to the franchise. I did not watch the first Halloween. I didn't watch 2 or 3. I, 4 is what got me in. I remember where I was. It was a Saturday afternoon. AMC was doing their Monster Fest, Horror Fest thing they do where pretty much all month or half the month of October, they they just air horror movies nonstop. And Halloween 4 was on like middle of the day, like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And I reluctantly sat down and was like, okay, I'm going to get over this hump, all right? Michael Myers creeps me out, but I've never really seen a Halloween film from start to finish. So I sat there and I watched that whole movie. And look, it's not the greatest one in the franchise. People argue it's like the worst. I don't think it's the worst. I think it's up there in like my my top, like in the first half of ones that I like in the franchise. Uh, it plays it safe. Nothing new. And I know like recently with the new the Blumhouse films, they try to do some new things and I respect them for it because I feel like, yeah, you should elevate the franchise, elevate the genre a little bit. And, you know... Give it something more. Like, I respect it. Sometimes it hits, sometimes it doesn't. But sometimes you do just want to play it safe. And there's some backstory to that. You know, it's 10 years after the first one. John Carpenter was trying to do other things with that franchise throughout the 80s that didn't pan out. So he lost, I don't think he lost the rights, but he lost the opportunity to really kind of work within that um, tentpole again. So. Uh, This ends up getting made by Mustafa Akkad, who's the executive producer of the original ones, and he decides to bring back Michael Myers. And so this movie doesn't feel like a John Carpenter film, but oddly enough, the director, Dwight H. Little, is a huge Carpenter fan, so he does give kind of some nods of like, he was trying to make his own film, but he was also trying to like, you know, show his respect to what John Carpenter created. And I can see that, but it does feel separate than those first three movies. feels completely different, completely new take, but yet it's that same kind of story of Myers escapes a mental institution, returns his hometown, only they couldn't get Jamie Lee Curtis to be in the movie because she probably didn't want to do it because she was a superstar by 1988. So they rework it, and now he's chasing after uh, his niece. (laughs) And little Danielle Harris is great in it. Uh, I don't know. It's just a fun popcorn flick. 
like it's like cabin fever like you're not there's some continuity errors there's some things that add there's some holes to some plots here and there but it's just a fun slasher um yeah like it it really captures uh fall really well for a movie that was shot in utah i don't know i don't know what i guess that's what fall looks like in utah and i guess i mean the production designer probably helped with that a little bit as well but it looked really cool uh so that's halloween four uh Fun movie. I, mean, I might even watch it again before Halloween next next week or two weeks away, however long that is. Uh, I, I've, I love that one. That might be like third third or fourth favorite in the franchise for me. So next up, uh, a classic in my mind, a classic that I haven't seen enough, so I wanted to go back into it. This is none other than the late, great Stuart Gordon's From Beyond, released October 24th, 1986, so it's almost... We're almost at the release date of that. That'll be on uh, Monday. Uh, this has, you know, it almost feels like a continuation of something with like Reanimator, which he did, I think, a year prior. Uh, obsessive scientist successfully discovers a way to access a parallel universe of pleasure by tapping into the brain's penal gland when he is seemingly killed by forces from his this other dimension. His assistant, Dr. Crawford, played by Jeffrey Combs, uh, is accused of the murder after psychiatrist Catherine McMichaels, played by the great Barbara Crampton, and Detective Bubba Brownlee uh, take the case. The trio risks a return to the other world in order to save the mis- solve the mystery. Excuse me. Uh, that was reading off Google there. Um, yeah, this is just great fun sci-fi, body horror-esque, whatever. Something that Stuart Gordon did really well with something like Reanimator. And translates really well here. Um, like I don't know what I, I know. I say this a lot in the show sometimes when I rehash classics. I don't know what more you can say about From Beyond. It is a wild fucking ride. I've uh, been trying to get Barbara Crampton on the show for a while. Uh, publicists or managers have not got back to me. I mean, she's usually busy around October, so maybe I'll try randomly in like January again or something. Um, yeah, just a lot of fun. Uh, Stuart Gordon is just such a missed director. I, I, I wish he was still around making films and whatnot. Horror fans love this because it has ties to Lovecraftian uh, elements as well. Uh, I, yeah, and I, I mean, we, we are going to probably talk about a little Lovecraft stuff in a couple weeks on this show. So I recommend any, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, From Beyond, it is streaming on Tubi. It's also on Pluto TV, which I found that I have. Pluto just has like a lot of ads. Like I feel like it takes an ad break like every 15 minutes or so. So you're watching a 90-minute movie for like two and a half hours. Uh, yeah, check that one out. Classic from the 80s, like pinnacle 1980s horror right there within the middle of the uh, the peak era of the genre. I shouldn't say peak era. There's been better stuff, but like, you know what I mean? 80s horrors, where it's at. All right, so that, that was Wednesday's, by the way. Let's jump into yesterday's movie I watched, which is a fairly new film that premiered earlier this month on Paramount+. Plus. It's a Paramount Plus original. Um, nobody was really talking about it on the internet, so I hopped on Letterboxd and saw what people were talking about, and there's a lot of divisiveness over it, and I can kind of see why. So I'm, I'm going to get into none other than the Paramount Plus original Significant Other. This stars Micah Monroe and Jake Lacey. Uh, Micah, who you know, is in recently, um, I think it's just Watcher, which is a Shutter exclusive or original that they acquired, which I thought was a 
fun movie, but I, I watched that before October started. But check it out. Uh, she's also in. She's also the big, you know, kind of became the new like it girl after it follows dropped back in 2014. There's been a few other things. She was in that not so great Independence Day sequel that came out a few years later. Uh, so in this movie, they the two of them play a couple. They're not married yet. Uh, they go out on a hiking trip in um, middle of nowhere, like Oregon. And, you know, the movie starts with, like, this kind of beauty shot, and you see, like, something comes out of the sky, like a, like a, something crash lands into the woods that they end up going into. And you can tell kind of by uh, Micah Monroe's character, she, she's a little on edge. She's got, she's very anxious, it seems, you know, there is a, you know, topic of mental health with her. I don't think they actually address, I could be wrong, but... I don't remember a point where they address like what is actually kind of wrong with her. Did something happen to her traumatically? Again, I could be wrong. Maybe I just missed that. But uh, Jake Lacey, the other her boyfriend, um, is this character who uh, he's he's very optimistic. He's very upbeat. He's he's sometimes a he's like the polar opposite of her. Just like a lot of energy, but he also seems like a good dude. He seems like a good guy. Uh, and what he does is he proposes to her. Uh, on like a cliff overlooking the ocean and this is all on the hike and she completely has like a complete like panic attack meltdown when he does it and <laughs> and she says no she says no and so they go about their their trip still they're still together and so there's kind of this odd dynamic and she ends up kind of wandering off the day after this happens and f- just for like a little trip to kind of clear her head or I think she takes like a pee break <laughs> and she finds something in a cave but we don't fully see what she sees and she comes back and you can tell something's different about her and I'm gonna leave it at that if you haven't seen it because there's a lot of people when I when I posted about it that I got not, I don't want to say a lot but just like a handful of people reached out on the basement's Instagram and said like what did you think about this and I'll tell you what I thought about it remember what I said about tone earlier with the changeling um for uh for a few minutes in this movie early on in the first act i was like okay this is setting an interesting tone up for me i can tell this is trying to kind of be a little indie a24 horror film trying to be or paramount plus trying to tap into that audience uh which is completely fine uh there's an audience for stuff like that but um once, I don't know, like, once I hit, like, the 20-minute mark, I gotta be honest with you, I almost shut it off. I was kind of like, where, what's going on? Like, I get it, there's, like, a dead deer that looks like it's ripped apart by an alien or something, like, I get it, but, like, what the fuck's going on here? <laughs> and so, what happens next, after she goes into that cave, which is where I'm gonna stop it, I kept, I remember going, like, oh, okay. All right. Okay, I'm on board with this. This is fun. This is, um, and I'll I'll not give anything away, but I will say there is a lot of comparisons to things like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, The Thing, um, um, what's that Scarlett Johansson movie? <laughs> Under the Skin with Scarlett Johansson. A couple other kind of um, Annihilation as well. And I remember going like, okay, I am on board with this. And then there's a twist again. 
like 10 minutes after the fact. And I felt like the twist happened too soon. So therefore I got like 25, 30, cause it's like a, it's a short movie. It's 84 minutes. So then now I got like 25, like 25, 35 minutes with, after this twist. And there it just kind of dragged and let me down. And so I'll, I know I'm not really giving full on reviews. I'm watching a lot of stuff I've already seen, but since this was a new one, I'll just say this movie had good parts, but I, I don't really think it was fully for me. I thought I just kind of got let down. Um, you know, and a lot of people I was looking on Letterboxd seem to kind of agree with that. There's, there's just these shifts that make it a little clunky when it could have been this nice, straightforward horror film. And, um, I don't know, you know, to each his own on it, but, uh, I don't, you know, I'd say give it a shot. There's, there's some things that people will like, here I go again, like kind of not liking a movie, but I'm going, eh, why don't you give it a shot? Uh, but that's, it's streaming on Paramount Plus. I, I, you know, I know people are kind of start starting to get introduced to Paramount Plus. You know, they launched, they've been up for about a year now, I think. Um, and they're kind of, I think, starting to get traction as of late. So now on to the last film I watched, which was this morning before my daughter got up. Uh, that is a movie that I remember seeing, I want to say trailers for it back in like summer 2019 or 2018, excuse me. Uh, and that is none other than Slice, uh, released by A24. This is an A24 movie, I forgot. Um, there's no actual, like, release release. Like, I don't know if this got a theatrical run. And I maybe kind of see why. I don't know. A24 kind of, like, plugged the shit out of this when it first came out. And I just don't know if it didn't really hit well at screenings or something. I never heard about this showing up in theaters, but when I saw the trailer, I was like, I am on board. Um, but then it just disappeared. And now it, I think I saw it a few times on Amazon Prime, but I never hit play. And so I saw this pop up on Tubi this morning. Or I saw it last night and I was like, I'm saving it for this morning. So I popped that on. Slice takes place in a spooky small town and a slew of pizza delivery boys are getting killed on the job. And there's two daring survivors that set out to catch the culprits behind the cryptic crime spree. This movie is shot to make you feel like you're in an 80s horror film, but I don't think it takes place in the 80s. It just kind of has these like kind of quirky production design elements to it. And I think it also helps that none other than Stranger Things actor Joe Keery uh, is in the film. This also stars uh, Zazie Beetz, uh, Chance the Rapper's in there, Paul Shear as well. It's a, uh, Chris, Par- Chris Parnell plays the mayor of the town, which I thought was kind of cool. I always loved him on SNL. Hannibal Burris as well is in there. Uh, yeah, it's got a cool, great cast for like a little independent film, something A20, something A24 would want to do. But again, like it just, they, I don't think it was in theaters or if it was, it was a very limited release. So to see this pop up, I was like, oh, I always wanted to see this. Um, ah, (laughs) Uh, I wish it was a lot more fun than it was. Um, it's an 82 minute runtime, I think. And I, I just kind of couldn't get into it uh i don't really know why i'm sorry to give a really dismal response but i don't know i just did not i couldn't get into it i I couldn't i can see there's just some holes in what's going on everything was really moving a little too fast i think the movie's runtime of 82 minutes made them cram a lot of things into it there's a lot of characters in this movie who are getting a lot of screen time and i don't know it just kind of fell apart but I I would say I went in with intentions of um, 
you know, wanting to watch some kind of spooky movie like that, that I will say it captures that really well. Um, you know, there's violence and, you know, some bloodshed in it, but it does kind of have like a, a millennial hocus pocus feel to it. <laughs> I know hocus pocus two is out now, but it, it is a little spooky, you know, between like deaths and whatnot. There is this kind of spooky feel, feel to it. I'm saying spooky a lot. But that's Slice, streaming on uh, Tubi right now. Check it out if you want, despite my um, opinions of it. Uh, I, res- I will say this. I'm aware of VHS 99 just dropped on Shutter. I'm going to be watching that tomorrow, so I will be talking about that next Friday. Uh, so with all that being said, that's my movies for the week for 31 Days of Halloween. And uh, I'm going to go do some traveling right now, and we will see you Monday. Monday's going to be a fun one. I'm not going to say what it is, but it's going to be like a countdown show, kind of, sort of. And it's horror-related, so be sure to tune in. See you on The Basement on Monday.